Hi, welcome to the cottage. We are a lively outpouring of an exciting adventure into God's riches and glories in Christ Jesus. We really work to activate an excitement for the kingdom of God as it is in the now until it comes into its fullness. We invite you to our sessions to explore the heights and depths of God's love in a fuller bandwidth. I'm Dr. Ken, the pastor of a small independent church seeking to return to the Lord's zeal in times where apathy and lethargy rule the day of the complacent. We try to shake things up and offer a temporary home as we travel this sod until we reach higher ground and connect into the everlasting life from above, here on the earth as it is in heaven. For more information, you can email us at thecottage at dken.cc. That is thecottage at dken.cc. Hi, welcome back to The Cottage. We're continuing our series of Jesus Walking on the Water, and we discuss the idea of the disciples in torment. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we're continuing with uh, our series in Mark 6, and tonight we're going to look at uh, verse 48 and as our passage. And we've been tying this Jesus' event with walking on the water with Moses' event when it was revealed to him at the burning bush who God is. And this is where Jesus is revealing to his disciples who God is. So let's look at uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, to go back to chapter 3 again in what we've been talking about. It says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen, we went through that before, God saw. So we did that before. He saw the affliction of my people. So here it is. Again, God tells Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in slavery in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And so we talked about God seeing, and we talked about Jesus on the mountain seeing the disciples struggling. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Mark 6.48, he saw, we did that last time, Wednesday night, I believe. Now we're doing, he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them, and was about the fourth watch of the night. He cometh unto them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And again, last Sunday night, we covered that phrase, would have passed them by. Tonight, we're looking at this idea of toiling. And in the Greek, basanizo, it's actually torture. Now, these are veteran fishermen, but they are being tortured. There's something going on in this storm that is utterly crazy. And so they are under, this word is often understood as torture. When you look it up in the Greek dictionaries of how it's used throughout the New Testament. In verse 50, Mark 6.50, it says, for they all saw him. Now, they saw him. Remember, he saw them toiling. Now they see him and they're even more troubled. Like, man, we've got so much going on. Now what is it that's coming to us now? And sometimes we feel like that. Since the pandemic, it seems like, at least for me and for a lot of people I talk to, it's like, man, what's coming next? I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. One thing after another. And so when they saw him, they were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And we covered that passage, that part of the passage in Sunday school this morning. The idea of it is I. 
and he invokes the divine name, the very name that Moses was given at the burning bush. When they translated the Hebrew into Greek, Jesus uses that exact phraseology so they would understand that he was invoking the divine name, saying, I am here. I am. Yahweh is with you. But in, tonight we're talking about the fact that they were troubled. And it's, it's all tying back again to Exodus, that God saw them in their bondage and in their slavery, and he came to save them. And after a matter of fact, what does the name Jesus mean? He saves them. And we could even go so much to say that it was actually Moses did not take them into the promised land. Moses got them out of Egypt, but he wasn't able to take them. Who took them into the promised land? Joshua. What's the Greek for Joshua that comes over to us in English? Jesus. And it means Yahweh saves. The word Jesus is G Yah. Sus. When we take that from the Germans, Martin Luther, who first translated the Latin into German, so the common people in Germany could read it, and we took it that and then we rolled it over into the English, we got Jesus. We got Jesus. But it actually means Yahweh saves. Using the short form, Yah. Yahweh saves. And so they're troubled, and yet Yahweh is there to save them. But they don't understand it's Jesus. Matter of fact, Peter had to ask, if it is you, Jesus. But then what we discovered, that he didn't ask that, he said, since you are Lord of creation. We talked about that this morning. Since it is you, let me come with you. But what's it coming out of this trouble? We're dealing with this trouble language that God has been with him. In Mark 6, 48. And when he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Here's a special word for wind. You don't catch it in the original language. Now, sometimes wind is in the Greek the word pneuma, which is the same word for spirit, which is the same word that is used of God's Holy Spirit. But that's not the word used here. That's not the word they use here. They use a different Greek word, animus. This is something different. Okay, so it's not talking about that spirit, but it's talking about that there's something else that is troubling them. That is troubling them. Not pneuma, but animus. Then we have, again in verse 48, Mark 6, 48. And he saw them toiling wrong, for the wind was contrary unto them. They're fighting something that's contrary to them. And about the fourth watch of night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed them by. The wind is contrary. It is trying to prevent them from getting to where God wants them to go. And we all have experienced that. And we all seem to be experiencing it. The church globally is experiencing this. That there is something contrary pushing against. Now, in certain parts of the world, it's, it's amazing. The gospel is exploding. In the country of Nepal, which I happened to be at for many years, it was the fastest growing church in Asia in the last 10 years, in the previous census. 
I mean, it's exploding out in the villages. And we were trying our best. And there was almost 200 pastors that died during the pandemic from COVID. And it was very difficult to replace them because that's what we're trying to do is train pastors. And yet out in the remote areas where there's over 125 different people groups, the gospel was exploding across that little bitty country where the highest mountains in the world are. And the gospel was going out because it was moving. And yet the enemy knows that. And it's been contrary. But at the same time, in that contrary, God is moving. God is moving in our midst. And the gospel is going in parts of Africa and Latin America and other parts of the world. It's exploding. And it's amazing what's happening. And so we got to realize that even though it's contrary, this contrary is inatios which is very opposed in nature, character, or purpose. Okay, this, I want you to understand this, that it's very opposed. They're supposed to ride the wind, go across the shore, and get to the other side, but it's opposing the very nature or their purpose of ministry. They're being thwarted by a power to stop them from what God intends to do. And they have to fight through it to get to the other side. And they can't do it alone. And they require the power of God. And then Jesus gives Peter that amazing thing we talked about this morning. It's one thing for Jesus as God or as some kind of power to be able to walk on the sea, which is, again, unusual. That is highly unique in the literature of the day. There's no other being that does this. Walks. Some of them are powered and they can go fast. They have stories of others going fast and running across the water, but they don't have anybody that can stand there. <laughs> you know, they, they didn't have this concept. And Jesus said, that's one thing. But for God to be able to pass that on to Peter, that tells you, Loads even more. Superman, again, can fly to the moon. Superman can fly Lois Lane around, but Lois Lane can't fly. And Superman can't give that power to someone else. You know, that's the idea we have here. They had their gods that had all their powers, but rarely was it able then to give it to someone else. And so this is very unique. And so there's something opposing, and then Jesus gives Peter that authority, the same authority by which he had, to be standing on there. Of course, Peter falters, and the Lord catches him. But this thing is opposed to the purposes and plans that are being set forth. It's opposition. And so we face lots of opposition even today. Even today. Hallelujah. Now, when Elijah, we talked about Elijah, when he defeated the 450 and the other 400 false prophets, 850 prophets on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18. And he calls down lightning. It hadn't rained for three and a half years. And then he's on a mountain and he says, tell them to go bring me some water. And then he asked for it again and again, three times. They don't even have water to begin with. And they got to come up with water three times. And he calls forth the lightning and God answers and strikes that offering and consumes it and answers and he says choose this day whom you will serve but he says make a choice 
You've been halted between two opinions. Just like you were in Joshua, you can't decide who you're going to serve. But here it is. This is the God that answers by fire. And it rained. But immediately after that, Jezebel, the queen, the evil queen, gets angry and puts out a warrant for reward, dead or alive, on Elijah. And he goes off under that broom tree and he's crying, God, she's going to kill me. Now he could stand up against 850 false prophets. And the next day he's worried about a woman. <laughs> Go figure. Go figure. And he's crying under this broom tree saying, just kill me now. And God says, eat. And an angel gives him food. He says, now eat again. And he eats again. He says, you've got a long journey. And he journeys to the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights it takes him to journey from where he was all the way up to the mountain that God wanted to meet him at. And when he gets there, what do we see in 1 Kings 19? We talked about this passage before, tying it to this event. And he said to Elijah, go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And we talked about that last Sunday night, that the Lord passed by Moses, the Lord passed by Elijah. By a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in that wind. Interestingly, the Lord is not in this wind that they're fighting that's contrary to the plans and purposes of God against this nature. That there's some other power controlling this wind, stopping them from going. They've been toiling like this all night. And then after the wind and earthquake, and the Lord was not in the earthquake. And that boat is reeling. And those veteran fishermen think they're going to die because there's something unusual happening. Because the very wind is contrary to them. But they can recall that God's not in that wind. But despite that wind being contrary to them, there is Jesus standing on that water. And he's inviting them to get out of the boat and join him on the waves. And we just sang the joy like the sea billows roll. Didn't we just sing that? Can you imagine if Peter had just stopped for a moment and stopped focusing on the wind? And we all do this. I do it. We get caught up in the circumstances of life and we get so caught up in the things of this world and the challenges and everything that's contrary to the very purpose and plan of God. Contrary to everything God wants to do in our lives. But God's done in that. That's all just wind. Wind that'll blow here today and gone tomorrow. But we've got to stand the test of time. And not let our house be destroyed. Jesus said the wise man and the foolish man. He was talking about when he preached... You listening are either that wise man or you are that foolish man. And you take my word that I give you and you build the very same house. Same house, same word, same thing that Jesus is saying. But one will take it and they'll dig down deep and they'll build it upon the rock and it will stand against the wind. And the other... Eh, that was a great sermon. Won't bother to dig down deep, won't bother to study, won't bother and just punk. Okay, 
I built that house. And when the wind comes, it's gone. It's gone. And we have got to decide if we're going to understand what God is saying to us and dig down deep and build on that foundation. We've been talking about building the house of God. Rebuilding the house of God here. We want to clear it down to the foundation and build what Jesus was saying to us. And the wind is going to come to test us and try us and try to blow that house down. But if we build it upon the rock of Christ as our foundation, we can stand the test of time. So again, Mark 6, 48, and he saw them toil rolling for the wind. The wind was contrary to them. But God's not in that wind. God's not in that wind. Again, Psalm 78, 7, verse 16. The water saw thee, O God, the water saw thee, and they were afraid. The depths were also troubled. <laughs> I told you. Wednesday night. He saw. God saw their trouble. Moses saw the burning bush, and he turned aside to see what this thing is. And God saw what Moses saw. We went through who saw. But listen, tonight we're going to continue. <laughs> Psalm 77, verse 16. The water saw. Oh my goodness. Look who showed up. The water saw thee, O God. The water saw thee, and they were afraid. Who's afraid? The disciples? <laughs> the waters are afraid. Why? Because here comes Jesus. <laughs> Yahweh is on the waters. I gave you the part of 77 this morning and some of the other messages we did, if you're taking notes. You can go back and see 77, how it fits in the other verses. But I didn't give you verse 16. Because the waters see. They're contrary to God. And the disciples are struggling to go and do what Jesus said, just like the church struggles in these desperate times to do what God wants to do when everything is contrary to the very purpose and nature of how God created everything. Yet when they see God, they get scared. They get scared. What did Legion say? <laughs> please, please, put us in the pigs. <laughs> Jesus said, all right, I'll whip up some devil ham. We're going to baptize some demons. And in the water you go. Well, that's not what we said. We wanted to go into pigs. Well, that's fine. Go into pigs. But the pigs are going in the water. We're going to baptize you. <laughs> when they saw Jesus coming, oh my goodness. Our day is over. Is it judgment day already? Have you come to judge us now? That's what they're asking. The demons are talking to you. What's going on? Is it judgment day? You're not supposed to be here. <laughs> We're supposed to have a party for a while. The waters saw God. The waters were afraid. And the depths were troubled. When God shows up. Mark 6, 49. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. Now, I told you that word wind was not the Greek word pneuma that we often associate with spirit, wind, breath. That was anonymous. Well, here we have the word spirit. But actually, it's not pneuma either. I wouldn't translate it myself, spirit. It's phantasma. It's where we get the English word phantom. 
What does it mean? An apparition, a spirit, a ghost is the better translation here. Phantom, the disembodied spirit of a dead person. That's what they expected. They thought they were seeing. They were being deceived and twisted. And that's what they're thinking that's coming at them. And they're thinking that they're going to die. And someone from the dead is taking us down. That's what they think they see. I would not, I, I, I think ghost here is the better translation. Especially the way the word is used throughout the rest of the Bible. Ghost. Phantasma. Phantom. Phantom of the opera. <laughs> they think they're dying. This is something crazy that they're experiencing. They didn't know. They didn't know what it was, but that's what they were expecting. Mark 6.50, for they all saw him and they were troubled. Again, they're troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said of them, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now you can understand in the context of them thinking, of seeing ghosts, he proclaims, you're not seeing ghosts. You're not seeing spirits of dead men. I am here. And you shouldn't be afraid, but the waters better be. Because you know number 77. You sing that song. You sang that song growing up as a child. You sang number 77. And you know the waters should be afraid. Why are you afraid? Be of good cheer. Yahweh is here. The Lord of creation. And you do not have to be afraid. For God is here. The God of all gods. The King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He's here in your midst. And the only thing you have to fear is to fear me. What did Jesus tell them? He says, don't fear them that can take away your body and kill you. Don't even fear Satan. What can he do to you? What you have to fear is God and God alone. Because if God doesn't have you, you're in trouble. That's when you're in trouble. The only thing you fear is the fear of the Lord, Yahweh, and that's it. And none other. Be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. Whatever is contrary to the things of God. When Jesus commands you to do, and he even says, if you falter, I will save you. He even says, if you, we, we sing these songs today. Even if you sin, I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you. What you can't do is worship something else. You cannot worship something else. Going back to Hebrews 12, 21. Remember, we talked about this this morning in Hebrews 12, 21. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I even exceedingly fear and quake. Moses was told. What was Moses told? Moses was told... At the burning bush, verse 12, remember Exodus 3.12? You're going to bring the people out of Egypt right back here on this mountain and worship me on this mountain. He brings them back. We went through these verses this morning. He brings them back. And what the people said, we can't handle this. They said, Moses, you go ask God what to do because we can't handle this. But even Moses is scared at the presence of God. 
Only fear God. Only fear God. That's it. Now where else do they fear? Amazing. Where else do they fear? Matthew 28, verses 2 to 7. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow, and as for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became his dead men. Ah, I love this. Remember? The priest said, we heard that Jesus said that he's going to rise from the dead. Can you give us soldiers to make the tomb secure? We can't do it. It's our Passover. It's our holy season, our festival season. We cannot guard the tomb. Can you put Roman soldiers there to guard the tomb so his disciples can't sneak in and steal his body? Hmm. And the angel showed up. And the fear of him, the Roman soldiers did shake and they became his dead men. Remember I quoted to you James 2.19? Even the demons believe that there is one God and they tremble. They thought they saw a dead man walking toward them, a ghost coming at them. But here we have Roman soldiers afraid. Probably their face turned white. <laughs> like Casper. And he's supposed to be dead, but they're appearing dead. And the angel of the Lord answered and said to them, Fear you not. Oh my goodness. Don't be afraid to the women. Doesn't talk to the soldiers. <laughs> Tells the woman, you don't have to be afraid. Fear not. Ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said, come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee and there you shall see him. Lo, I have told you. Fear not. They came expecting to see Jesus dead and they find the Roman soldiers. Might as well be dead. They all had a heart attack. They had a stroke. Because <laughs> he's alive. The disciples see Jesus coming to them and they think it's a ghost and they're going to die. He says, no, I've come to give you life. Death does not have power. It has no sting. But Lord, he stinketh. I don't care if he stinketh. Death has no stink. Because I'm going to give you life. And life more abundantly. You don't have to be afraid. I give you life. I give you life. Luke 24, 36 to 39. And as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. Now this is when Jesus walked with the disciples from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And he told them everything, went through the entire Old Testament to explain to them what must happen to Jesus. They thought God died. They thought Jesus died. What is he saying to them? As he reveals himself. Peace be unto you. Don't be afraid. Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted. They're terrified. And suppose that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? 
Why do your thoughts arise in your heart? Behold, my hands and my feet, that is the Messiah, handle me and see, for I have a spirit, hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And he says, you got anything to eat? <laughs> ah, a happy meal from Captain D's? Anybody got, you got some leftover fish there? <laughs> some hush puppies. I'll get anything. Let me eat. I am not a spirit. I am not a ghost. They had ran all the way back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples in Jerusalem, hey, listen, we saw Jesus and he shows up and they're like, whoa, is this a ghost? No, he's not a ghost. He's not a phantom. He is not dead. For spirit hath not flesh and bones. And this is an amazing message back then because the Greeks believed that they were going to be released. They saw their skin as a prison and they wanted to escape the flesh onto greater things like the, the Brahma of the, over there in India. They want to escape this in reincarnation and they want to join the spirit, the Brahma, the great spirit. They all are opposed to the flesh. It's only the Jews and the Christians that put so much emphasis in earth, in bodies. And Jesus says, I'm not a ghost. I have a body. I have a body. And you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. Only fear God. Exodus 3.14 And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. I'm Yahweh. The great I am. And he said, Dust thou shalt say to the children around, I am has sent me unto you. This is the name that Jesus invokes to the disciples when he says, Do not be afraid. I am with you. I am here. The same I am that was in that burning bush. As I told you this morning, my mentor argues that Jesus actually speaks from the bush. He has connected that passage to what they would understand as Jesus in the Old Testament. Speaking to Moses. And it's the same one speaking to them when they are afraid because they think they see a ghost. And so set up for the resurrection. Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I am he, and there is no God with me. There's no God. There's no spirit. There's no God. None of these things are on my level with me. Only God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. That's it. There's nothing on par with me. Yes, there are other spirits and gods in this world, but they're not on par with me. I am the most high. I kill and I make alive. They don't kill me. You don't have to fear because they can't kill me. And I can make alive. And they stoned Paul to death. In Acts 14. What did he do? Dusted off. Went back in there and freshened himself up. Got whatever they drink. I don't know if they had coffee back then or whatever they got. And went back out in the street and says, Hello. <laughs> Yesterday, you didn't like that sermon, but he killed me. Well, here I am. Yahweh made me alive so I could preach to you again. They stoned him unto death. These people know what it means to stone somebody to death. I can wound, I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. 
the one that says, neither can they deliver out of my hand. You don't have to worry. When you're in my hand, none can take you from my hand. When I got you, I got you. And nothing can separate you from the love of God. Paul says it. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. When I got you, I got you. And nothing can take you from my hand. You're in the hand of God. Isaiah 49 says he's carved his name in your palm. That way he can see it. When they drove that nail in, it was to put your name on his palm. So he see, when he sees that hole, he sees you and me. That's what Isaiah 49 says. That we are graved upon his hand. All these people doing these tattoos and, and cuttings and things. Well, they cut Jesus because he wanted to see you. And he wanted you to see yourself in his hand, in those holes, in his place. Just as Jesus has come to participate with us in our humanity, he invites, like he did Peter to get out of the boat, he invites us to participate in his kingdom here upon the earth as it is in heaven. Until either we go there or he comes here. That's the invitation we have. That's what he's inviting us to. And I pray that you can see that. I pray that you can understand. Whatever you're going through. Whatever it is. He's got you. And no one can deliver you from his hand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful, wonderful vision. We have. Who knew there was so much in your walking upon the sea? But when we stop to smell the roses and see all that you Long us to be. You have great desire for us to do what you want to do. And I pray that you will avail yourself in this place to cause us to be like Peter. To get out of our boat and to begin to walk upon the sea. And understand what you have for us. And understand all that you're calling us to. At this moment, they realize who Jesus is and they began to worship They began to worship you as God in the flesh. There's so many people out there that are dead that need to worship you and experience everlasting life. Let us take this life to them that they may experience all that you are. Because we have tasted and seen, let us share the goodness of the grace that we have received with those who are dead and make dead people alive in the kingdom. To be born again, born a second time, born anew, born from their spiritual death into new birth in Christ Jesus by your Holy Ghost. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this broadcast. You can find out more about us at dken.cc. That's D-K-E-N dot C-C. We look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you.